This is why I will not be using my guru's name throughout this book, because I cannot speak for her. Her teachings speak best for themselves. Nor will I reveal either the name or the location of her ashram, thereby sparing that fine institution publicity which it may have neither the interest in nor the resources for managing. One final expression of gratitude. While scattered names throughout this book have been changed for various reasons, I've elected to change the names of every single person I met, both Indian and Western, at this ashram in India. This is out of respect for the fact that most people don't go on a spiritual pilgrimage in order to appear later as a character in a book. Unless, of course, they are me. I've made only one exception to this self-imposed policy of anonymity. Richard from Texas really is named Richard, and he really is from Texas. I wanted to use his real name because he was so important to me when I was in India. One last thing. When I asked Richard if it was okay with him if I mentioned in my book that he used to be a junkie and a drunk, he said that would be totally fine. He said, I'd been trying to figure out how to get the word out about that anyhow. But first, Italy. Book One, Italy, or Say It Like You Eat It, or 36 Tales About the Pursuit of Pleasure. 1. I wish Giovanni would kiss me. Oh, but there are so many reasons why this would be a terrible idea. To begin with, Giovanni is ten years younger than I am, and, like most Italian guys in their twenties, he still lives with his mother. These facts alone make him an unlikely romantic partner for me, given that I am a professional American woman in my mid-thirties who has just come through a failed marriage and a devastating, interminable divorce, followed immediately by a passionate love affair that ended in sickening heartbreak. This loss upon loss has left me feeling sad and brittle and about 7,000 years old. Purely as a matter of principle, I wouldn't inflict my sorry, busted-up old self on the lovely, unsullied Giovanni. Not to mention that I have finally arrived at that age where a woman starts to question whether the wisest way to get over the loss of one beautiful brown-eyed young man is indeed to promptly invite another one into her bed. This is why I have been alone for many months now. This is why, in fact, I have decided to spend this entire year in celibacy. To which the savvy observer might inquire, then why did you come to Italy? To which I can only reply, especially when looking across the table at handsome Giovanni, excellent question. Giovanni is my tandem exchange partner. That sounds like an innuendo, but unfortunately it's not. All it really means is that we meet a few evenings a week here in Rome to practice each other's languages. We speak first in Italian, and he is patient with me. Then we speak in English, and I am patient with him. I discovered Giovanni a few weeks after I'd arrived in Rome, thanks to that big internet cafe at the Piazza Barberini, across the street from that fountain with the sculpture of that sexy merman blowing into his conch shell. He, Giovanni, that is, not the merman, had posted a flyer on the bulletin board explaining that a native Italian speaker was seeking a native English speaker for conversational language practice. Right beside his appeal was another flyer with the same request, word for word identical in every way, 
right down to the typeface. The only difference was the contact information. One flyer listed an email address for somebody named Giovanni. The other introduced somebody named Dario, but even the home phone number was the same. Using my keen, intuitive powers, I emailed both men at the same time, asking in Italian, are you perhaps brothers? It was Giovanni who wrote back this very provocativo message. Even better, twins. Yes, much better. Tall, dark, and handsome, identical 25-year-old twins, as it turned out, with those giant brown liquid center Italian eyes that just unstitch me. After meeting the boys in person, I began to wonder if perhaps I should adjust my rule somewhat about remaining celibate this year. For instance, perhaps I could remain totally celibate except for keeping a pair of handsome 25-year-old Italian twin brothers as lovers, which was slightly reminiscent of a friend of mine who is vegetarian except for bacon, but nonetheless, I was already composing my letter to Penthouse. In the flickering candlelit shadows of the Roman Café, it was impossible to tell whose hands were caressing. But no. No and no. I chopped the fantasy off in mid-word. This was not my moment to be seeking romance and, as day follows night, to further complicate my already naughty life. This was my moment to look for the kind of healing and peace that can only come from solitude. Anyway, by now, by the middle of November... The shy, studious Giovanni and I have become dear buddies. As for Dario, the more razzle-dazzle swinger brother of the two, I have introduced him to my adorable little Swedish friend Sophie, and how they've been sharing their evenings in Rome is another kind of tandem exchange altogether. But Giovanni and I, we only talk. Well, we eat and we talk. We have been eating and talking for many pleasant weeks now, sharing pizza and gentle grammatical corrections, and tonight has been no exception. A lovely evening of new idioms and fresh mozzarella. Now it is midnight and foggy, and Giovanni is walking me home to my apartment through these back streets of Rome which meander organically around the ancient buildings like bayou streams snaking around shadowy clumps of cypress groves. Now we are at my door. We face each other. He gives me a warm hug. This is an improvement. For the first few weeks, he would only shake my hand. I think if I were to stay in Italy for another three years, he might actually get up the juice to kiss me. On the other hand, he might just kiss me right now, tonight, right here by my door. There's still a chance. I mean, we're pressed up against each other's bodies, beneath the moonlight... And of course it would be a terrible mistake, but it's still such a wonderful possibility that he might actually do it right now, that he might just bend down and... and... Nope. He separates himself from the embrace. Good night, my dear Liz, he says. Buona notte, caro mio, I reply. I walk up the stairs to my fourth-floor apartment, all alone. I let myself into my tiny little studio, all alone. I shut the door behind me. Another solitary bedtime in Rome. Another long night's sleep ahead of me, with nobody and nothing in my bed, except a pile of Italian phrasebooks and dictionaries. I am alone. I am all alone. I am completely alone. Grasping this reality, I let go of my bag, drop to my knees, and press my forehead against the floor. There, I offer up to the universe a fervent prayer of thanks. First in English 
then in Italian, and then, just to get the point across, in Sanskrit. 2. And since I am already down there in supplication on the floor, let me hold that position as I reach back in time three years earlier to the moment when this entire story began, a moment which also found me in this exact same posture, on my knees, on a floor, praying. Everything else about the three years ago scene was different, though. That time I was not in Rome, but in the upstairs bathroom of the big house in the suburbs of New York which I'd recently purchased with my husband. It was a cold November, around three o'clock in the morning. My husband was sleeping in our bed. I was hiding in the bathroom for something like the 47th consecutive night, and, just as during all those nights before, I was sobbing. Sobbing so hard, in fact, that a great lake of tears and snot was spreading before me on the bathroom tiles, a veritable lake inferior, if you will, of all my shame and fear and confusion and grief. I don't want to be married anymore. I was trying so hard not to know this, but the truth kept insisting itself to me. I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to live in this big house. I don't want to have a baby. But I was supposed to want to have a baby. I was 31 years old. My husband and I, who had been together for eight years, married for six, had built our entire life around the common expectation that after passing the doddering old age of 30, I would want to settle down and have children. By then, we mutually anticipated, I would have grown weary of traveling and would be happy to live in a big, busy household full of children and homemade quilts with a garden in the backyard and a cozy stew bubbling on the stovetop. The fact that this was a fairly accurate portrait of my own mother...